Hi, I'm Roland Mueller, and uh, just a word of introduction at the beginning. My wife and I went to the Middle East in 1979 as, uh, with a vision to reach people and to share th with them about Christ. Um, I was 21 years old, my wife was 20, when we first got involved in missionary uh, service, and uh, within a short time we were in the Middle East uh, studying the Arabic language. Soon after we arrived, um, we began to meet our neighbors, and uh, they, uh, especially the, some teenage girls next door, and they uh, got to meet my wife, who was only a few years older than they were, and uh, she, they were asking her about, uh, where are you from? And they said to her, how can you live here? Um, we're, we're like, like your mother and, when, and your father aren't here, and, and how can, can you live here? And my wife burst into tears and said, it's very, very hard to be here without my family. And uh, they said, well, we'll be your family. And they took us over to their house and, uh, and introduced us to their parents, and we became part of their family. And every morning, the, uh, the mother would come and uh, make sure my wife was dressed correctly and properly before we went off to school. And every day we would come home, and then it was time to learn how to cook and how to uh, be, just be part of their family day in and uh, day out. It was very interesting, the, um, as we were living there, the man uh, that was there, he, he uh, said, I want to come with me, uh, go for a walk. And so we went a walk around the neighborhood. And he, we went into a store, and he introduced me, and he said, this is my son. And uh, when he comes here, remember, he's my son when we do shopping. And we went all over the community, and I was introduced as this man's son. And uh, he uh, really, as a family, they took us in and allowed us to be part of, of their family. Uh, as I had read a lot of books on Islam, but I, I didn't know that much really about Islam, and I had wanted to learn about Islam from the people that I met. And so right from the age of, uh, of 21 years old, I began to, to learn uh, what Muslims believe, what they think, and we would have many discussions as I would learn, not from textbooks, but from people. And a lot of what I'm going to share in the, these, these talks over the next few hours are going to be from things that I have learned interacting with people rather than with books and with, uh, with scholars and so forth. So this is, is maybe a little different from what other people might share, but it's some of the things that uh, we've had opportunity to learn with as we've been involved with people in their lives. Over the years, so we've had ministry in different countries in the Middle East, moved around into different countries. And uh, in 1993, uh, we ended up back in the Middle East. We were gone for a couple of years and uh, came back and uh, were put in charge of a training program. And uh, we were asked, would we apprentice some new workers that were going out to minister in that part of the world? And we said, sure, that would be wonderful. And when we arrived, we discovered we had 17 apprentices, all of them who wanted to learn. They were learning language, learning culture, wanted to learn ministry skills. And it was very stretching. The first year and a half, we, um, we, we worked with them with language and culture. And then I decided, well, if we're going to apprentice workers, then we need to really find people they can work under. So I decided I would look around the Middle East and find the best people who were doing ministry, leading uh, Muslims to Christ, uh, bringing them together into groups of believers. And I would ask, could I send them an apprentice, someone who had studied language, studied culture, but was just starting his ministry. So I started to look. And I began to look in, uh, in Jordan, in Syria, in Lebanon, in, and, and many of these countries around about, trying to find who are the best people. 
my criteria was very simple. Could they witness? Had they witnessed? Were they leading people to Christ? Had they formed a small group or a group of believers? I found six people that fit that category in all of those countries. And so I uh, got a hold of them, and uh, some of them I knew, and then I asked them, would they take an apprentice? And I sent them an apprentice. What was interesting was that I was learning from my apprentices, because they would report back to me on what was these people doing. And I was interested to know what makes these few people successful, rather than all the rest of us who were trying and working, but we were really struggling with uh, bringing people together into fellowships of believers. And so we, uh, it was a time of learning and a time of asking myself, what makes a successful evangelist to share the gospel to Muslim people? Not just somebody who talks, but somebody who actually has seen people come to Christ and is able to form groups of believers. Well, my question was, what is unique about them? What makes them an evangelist? And as I looked over these, uh, the, the group of people that were there, I discovered that there were, uh, there were certain things that uh, they were unique. Uh, not unique, I mean that were common among them all, but not very much. First of all, they were people who knew the Word of God. They, um, they, uh, they all could share. Whenever they were in a situation, they could open the Word of God and talk out of the pages of the Bible. And uh, somebody would ask him a question and say, oh, I know a verse that's in Colossians. Oh, there's a verse here. And they were people, men and women, of the Word of God. And that was unique. That was the, the good thing that uh, they had done. Uh, they, they were common among them all. Um, second, though, there was, there was nothing else that was common. Some were from the East. Some were from the West. Some were... Um, uh, were females, some were males. And so I sort of thought, well, well, what else is there? Sure, they're people of the word, but there must be another a common ingredient, a special ingredient that makes these people different from the others. And so I began to search for that common ingredient. The, um, there was a, an occasion once when one of these uh, guys came over to... Uh, to visit, and I had a chance to talk with one of these evangelists, and I explained to him my struggle. I said, I'm looking for a common ingredient, and you're all very, very different, from different backgrounds, different countries. Um, so, so why are these few people successful in their ministries, and so many of the rest of us, we, we, we've started, we've made little inroads, we, we've, we've done things, but we just haven't sort of seen it all come together. And uh, we talked for a while, and then he said, I'll tell you what the ingredient is. I said, okay, is it that easy? You know, just pull it out of a hat? Because I've been looking for a long time. And he said, I think the ingredient is the cross. He said, go back and look at all, uh, all six of us and see if there isn't some special time or event in, our, in the lives of these, all of six of these people where they have really died to self and maybe been crushed by experiences and, uh, and the cross is a very real thing in their life. Well, immediately, I began to think of things in their lives because I had looked at these six and I recognized this was indeed a common thing among all of them. All of them had come to a time and a place in their life where God had uh, brought them to a place where he literally crushed them, broke them because of difficult experiences. 
And I began to think of others even, not just these six, but others I knew who were successful. I thought of a dear brother I knew from, from England who uh, had come out to the Middle East and uh, had been sharing. And uh, this was way back in the 60s, but uh, his wife was pregnant and the, she was having a difficult pregnancy. They went to the doctor and uh, the doctor prescribed a drug called thalidomide. When the baby was born, he had little arms and little legs, no, but it was very deformed. They were crushed and broken. And Harry, he's a good friend, he was a good friend of mine. He, he was a boxer. He had been a boxer, and he was a big, tough guy, and, and it, this really broke him. He ended up back in England, and he, um, he needed to get care for his, for, his, for his child and so forth. And there he became an evangelist. And there he went around and spoke to people and, and I, I did some evangelistic work with him and I recognized though that God had done something special in Harry's life as he had broken him and uh, had brought him to a place of brokenness. And I recognized as I looked at others, some had suffered accusations by their own churches or their own organizations. Others had uh, been broken in different ways, but every one of them had been broken. And I realized that this was something that God was doing in my own life. And I had just was going through a time where God was taking us through uh, a period of time when, when we were being broken by some of the things that were going on around about us. Very often, God's special tool is a tool of suffering. And I began to recognize I was looking for what was the special ingredient um, and I wasn't recognizing the hand of God as he was working in the lives of these evangelists. One of the things that I was very interested in were tools. What were the tools that these evangelists used? I wanted to know, okay, what, what kind of lessons, what, what kind of tools did they have to share the gospel? And so I was very interested in their tools. And uh, as I got to, to recognize it, I mean, I was, I was looking at it because I have a background in, in carpentry, and I know what it is. A carpenter needs his tools. There's a right tool to do the job. And I had, like, my little toolbox. When I was in, in an argument over, is the Bible been changed? Well, I wanted to have the right tool to pull out of my toolbox. Or if someone is discussing something else, I want to be able to have the right tool. And so I was very interested in tools. But the Lord was beginning to show me that God isn't so interested in what tools I have in my toolbox, began to realize I was the tool in God's toolbox and that he was working on me, on my character, on who I was. And as I was going through times of suffering and times of difficulty, he was making me into his tool to reach out to others. And that's what it was with each one of these successful people. They were tools in God's hands and they were being turned into the tool that God could use. After all, imagine if there's a, a Muslim brother or sister who's beginning to think and beginning to seek and beginning to look for something, and God's up there saying, I wonder who I can put that person in contact with. And he's looking around, who will he choose? Will he choose this person or that person? He will choose the ones who have been uh, honed and prepared and are ready for his service. And so God works in our own personal lives. And we want to start there with this whole series, The Messenger, The Message, and The Community, and talk about who are we as a messenger? How do we become messengers who can share the gospel with other people? And to just try to, to come to grips with the idea that God, first of all, is interested in us 
as a tool that he can use in order to, um, to use us in sharing with others. Rather than just saying, okay, what do I do? What do I say? How do I say things? To recognize that I am a tool in God's hands and I need to be prepared and to be ready uh, so I can be used of him. One of the things that I noticed in the, uh, uh, as I looked at these six evangelists, and it was something that really caught my attention, was that none of them used friendship evangelism. I first caught this when I recognized as we talked that some of them were actually sort of against friendship evangelism. And as I dug a little deeper, I discovered that none of them were happy with the whole concept of friendship evangelism. I was surprised because I had been led to believe that friendship evangelism was the only way of doing evangelism with Muslims. And of course, this is what you did. You made a friend and then you had to get to know them and, and you had to build this relationship and this friendship and eventually you would have the place and the time where you could, could share Christ. None of them used that approach. And that's what um, really sort of caught my attention. And I began to look to see what kind of approach did they use. And this is my analysis of them, not necessarily their own analysis of what they did. But as I looked, I, I labeled it teacher-based evangelism. And they were all trying to bring people to a place where they could sit down and share with them and teach with them, teach them what the gospel was all about. And so friendship evangelism wasn't really the, the thing that uh, um, was important uh, to them. Now, what is friendship evangelism? What is teacher-based evangelism? I noticed that those of us who were using uh, friendship evangelism, we, we, we started this relationship and we would get to know people, we'd spend a lot of time with them, we'd invest a lot of energy into building these friendships, hoping that at, at some point we would be able to share about Christ. And as we, we went through this, um, you know, sometimes we'd have an opportunity, something would come up, but we'd talk about, has the Bible been changed? Or um, has, um, you know, wh who is, what is the Trinity and so forth? These were typical conversations that we would have. But as I looked at it, I realized I was frustrated with this because these questions are really the Muslim agenda. I was never getting around to sharing the gospel that I wanted to share because they always had another question. Well, did you know that the, the, the astronauts up in space, they heard the call to prayer? And then we would have to go around again and start the, you know, another whole... And when you get done with that, then up would come another objection and another one. And uh, we, we never seemed to end. You know, is Muhammad in the Bible? And so many of these questions that come up, and I realized the Muslim agenda just went on and on and on. And... Uh, my question was, how do I get around to sharing Christ? And by this time, I've invested time. I've invested energy. I've gotten to know the family. I've gotten to know everyone. How do I tell my friend now, after all these months and years, that he's going to hell? It's very hard to make the shift over from friendship to evangelism. And it was a real struggle. And then I, I didn't want to use or abuse that friendship. You know, when we were first in the Middle East... I was down one of the first weeks, I was down in the marketplace and buying some vegetables, 
And uh, as I was down there, a, a young man came up to me, and he had some English, and so we talked a little bit, and, and uh, he, he practiced his English, and uh, we talked, and when I was finished shopping, I started walking home, and he came walking along with me. And so he came up, and I invited him into my house, and we, we got to know one another. And, uh, and uh, he visited, and he was back the next day, and pretty soon we started this friendship. But about after three visits, he started asking me questions. Do you have uh, magazines? you know, with pictures of women. Uh, no, I don't have any of those. Oh. Um, and so after a little bit more in the visit, do you, uh, you have any beer or whiskey? No, I don't have any beer or whiskey in the house. Oh, okay. And then I was like, well, does your, does your wife have any sisters? And, and so forth. And so I began to realize his questions, he, he really wanted things from me. He wasn't so much interested in my uh, friendship as he was in getting something out of me. And so this, my relationship was a little bit sour because he was using me for his own benefit. Later I realized when I'm doing friendship evangelism, I am doing the very same thing to others. I'm building this relationship up. Why? Not because I really like this person, but because I want to get something out of the relationship. And so there's always that, that motive in behind, that second agenda uh, that could ruin the relationship. I don't want to ruin the relationship, but yet I want to reveal my secret agenda. And it, it puts me in a very, very difficult place. None of those teachers use that approach. And in fact, one of them said to me, let your friends be your friends. And if they never become Christians, that's fine. They're still your friends. Your, your, your reason for friendship is friendship not because you want to manipulate them into the kingdom of God. So let your friends be friends. But if there's others that, uh, I mean, as you go through life, you should be approaching everyone the same, not just uh, trying to evangelize your friends. Everyone you meet, you should try to say things to make them think. And as I went around with them, I began to realize we would go into the store and we would uh, get talking a little bit to the store owner and then he would throw in some things that would get people to think and uh, throw in some of these little conversations and he would talk about maybe uh, I've been praying about this or doing something and something in the conversation would start a religious conversation and would lead on from there. And he did that to every place he went, sow a few seeds and he said, let my friends be my friends. He said, I'm going around sowing seeds into the ground and finding out where's the ripe ground, where's the ground that uh, is, a, is there. Because I want to be able to have a time when I can sit down and share the gospel with people. All of his friends, he would say as they got into a discussion, would you like to sit down sometime and have someone explain to you the gospel, what it is? And uh, you know, it would take a, a number of hours, but we could go through it. And uh, one of my friends, he said six hours. It would take him six hours to go through and explain the gospel to a Muslim. And so he would say, would you like someone to sit down with you sometime and explain what Christians believe and what it's all about? It takes about six hours and to just go through all of what, what Christianity is all about. Would you be interested in that? And if they say no, that's fine. Then you move on and you wait because they're not quite ready for that. But always working towards um, being able to sit down and share the gospel with someone. So this was called teacher-based evangelism. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, do you think teacher-based evangelism is in the Bible? That's the first question I had. Well, is this biblical? And then I had to think, well, what about, um, uh, what about Jesus? What was his, um, 
How was, how was he known? What did people call him? Everywhere he went, they'd say, Rabbi, good teacher. So he was known as a teacher. Well, what about the disciples? Jesus sent them out, them out to go teaching. And after the resurrection, it talks about them going out teaching in the temple and in the marketplace. And as we look around, we see that the, the disciples' role, were, they were teachers. One time I asked myself, why are people sending, uh, why is God sending so many teachers to the Middle East? I mean, everybody I meet has got this gift of teaching. They always say, I'd like to be a teacher. We didn't have anybody to teach because we're still doing basic evangelism. Until I caught on, God was sending out teachers because he wanted them to teach evangelism. He wanted to teach the gospel. And he's sending out people gifted in teaching so they could gather people around them and teach what do Christians believe. Teacher-based evangelism. Now, I want to talk about five styles of evangelism. And as I've looked at evangelism, I think I see these five different styles. Um, and you might think of them in a continuum. On one side, I would put lifestyle evangelism. And uh, let's talk about lifestyle evangelism for a moment. Um, lifestyle evangelism, I've met people who like to do this. They like to just speak. Uh, not speak, just live their life. I met some people who said, I like to live my life and, uh, and I don't need to say anything. People will just see my life and they'll know what, uh, what, what it's all about. So I've met some people like that. So I've uh, some tent makers who said, well, people see my life and oh, I don't speak the language very well and I haven't you know, done a lot, but they can see my life. And there's a place for that. I mean, Paul says in First uh, Thessalonians 1, chapter 5, that uh, you know what manner of men we were as we lived among you. So he talked about look at our life and see how we lived our lives among you. So lifestyle evangelism has its place. But we can be misunderstood. People can look at our lives and misunderstand us because they're looking at it from their worldview and they're not perhaps seeing what we're seeing. One time when I was uh, down in Yemen, I was out in, uh, in the country, I stopped at a gas station and somebody asked me where I was working, what I was doing, and I mentioned the hospital where I worked and they said, oh, you know, Dr. Walid, he's up there. I know him. He's filthy rich. Oh, he's a rich man. Well, I knew Dr. Walid. He's actually a Dutchman who was there. He's no longer there anymore. He was there for many, many years. He had sacrificially given his life to live up in his rural country and to be there, to have nothing. I mean, when he left, he took his suitcases with him. I mean, that's all he, all he had. He didn't have a big house anywhere else. He hadn't, you know, stocked up all kinds of money. He was sacrificially giving his life what did the people see? Wealthy man, you know, lives up there, wealthy man. One time, um, Dr. Walid was down in the marketplace, and he met one of the local sheikhs. And uh, this local sheikh said, I am buying a television, and I need some help. Like, which television would you buy? And Dr. Walid said, I don't know. I don't know if I can help you. And so he said, well, Dr. Walid, what kind of television do you have? Dr. Walid said, I don't have a television. He said, what? Oh, so then the sheikh went in and he bought two televisions and gave one to the doctor and one for himself. That's the kind of man Dr. Walid was. But yet, those who didn't know him immediately, beyond that, a few villages down, they thought he was a wealthy, wealthy man. So many times our lifestyle can be misinterpreted. We think we're living sacrificially and people should be able to see that and appreciate that, and yet they misinterpret what we're talking about. 
Well, that's lifestyle evangelism. So if we take our lifestyle and our friendships and we add some words to it, it's what I would call friendship evangelism would come next, the next strongest form of evangelism. So we have our life, we live our lives, and we add to it friendship. And there is a place for friendship evangelism. There's a place for all of these kinds of evangelism. But friendship evangelism is adding some words. Now we want to be able to share a little bit, explain a little bit about who we are and so forth. Now, on the other end of the extreme, we're looking at five kinds of evangelism, lifestyle and friendship. Uh, the other side, we have confrontation. And this is the extreme on, that si on this side is where we would confront, where we would actually have debates, meet face-to-face -face in confrontational um, type of format. Now, Harry Young, my friend in England, he was good at that kind of thing. He loved confrontation. It's that boxer mentality. Get out there and box. You have a, and his, sometimes his evangelistic uh, efforts ended up being boxing matches. But there's a place for that, a place when we need to argue apologetics, a place when we need to confront when confrontation needs to be done. And so there's confrontation is very strong. So do you see the difference? Lifestyle, no words. And over here, confrontation, maybe they don't see much of your life. You're just coming across in this conf confrontation. So we're, we, we see the two extremes, and then we have friendship evangelism here, and here's what I call proclamation. And proclamation is where we, we proclaim, maybe handing out the Jesus film or getting tapes or videos into people's hands or um, some sort of uh, radio broadcast, television. These are proclamation. We're not in an argumentative place. We're not confronting, but we are proclaiming. And there are people doing these kinds of ministries. But those who I found the most successful in church planting and bringing people together were in the middle doing teacher-based evangelism. And it's sort of a balance of all of these. You have the friendships, you have some relationships, but you're teaching. But uh, when you need to, perhaps you can move to confrontation, but it is the, the, the middle road to go in f bringing people to a place where you can do teacher-based evangelism, the five styles of evangelism. Now, let's just think for a few minutes through this whole area of teacher-based evangelism. Because what happens when um, you're talking with someone and you're sharing with them? I did this with a, a man I worked with um, in, a, in an office. We worked in an office and I was teaching him technology and computers and, and different things. And we would talk every day and, uh, and, and we would get around to Christian topics. And he was quite open and I could share things with him. And after a while, uh, this few days of this, uh, conversations and interesting things, I would say to him, would you be interested in uh, uh, having someone teach? You know, I sit down and, and go through what the gospel's all about, what Christians really believe. And the first time he says, no, 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 I don't want anything like that. But it planted the idea in his head. And so we, we worked again, and we continued on, had some of our conversations, and after a few days, we had another one of those really good conversations. And I said, are you sure you're not really interested? You want somebody to sit down? And I said, take about six hours to, to go through this and to have someone really sort of explain and lay out to you sort of what Christians believe and what it's all about. And uh, he's like, oh, well, well, maybe, you know, but he was not ready to commit. But slowly the idea began to grow in his head. Now, I never realized it, that the teaching, what the Lord was doing, was not so much for himself, is that when someone would sit down and teach him, that it would be his son, his teenage son, who would respond to the gospel message. But the idea is to plant those seeds, would you like someone to teach? Now, here the question is, who does the teaching, and how do you do the teaching? 
And this is something which I call uh, vice versa teaching. And vice versa teaching is um, where I would be a teacher for somebody else's contacts, and he's a teacher for my contacts. So I had a friend who would be my teacher. I had actually two or three different people that I would use as a teacher. So when I was sharing the gospel and talking with people, I would um, be at a place where I felt, would you be interested in meeting with someone? They would say yes. It would not be me who would be the teacher. I would introduce my friend. And I had both an Arab friends and I had Western friends who could be the teachers. And I would invite them to come and we would set up a teaching situation and uh, they could um, sit down and go through what do Christians believe. Now the beauty of vice versa teaching is um, it's I don't even have to be there. And generally I'm not. I introduce them to the teacher. Maybe I'm there at the first session, but I don't have to be there because I'm building a teacher-student relationship up between my friend and um, my Muslim friend and my Christian friend. And they're set up so that there's actual teaching that's going on. The, uh, the second thing that's nice is that during the week, I can call up my Muslim friend and say, how did it go? And he says, well, actually, I didn't go this week or this time. Oh, what happened? Now, you see, I can talk with him because he's still my friend. I'm not the teacher. I haven't broken off the relationship I have with him by introducing myself as the teacher. So I use someone else generally to be the teacher, and the others may use me to be a teacher for their contacts and their friends. And so we widen this little group up and we can, we can teach for one another. And I also found in, the, in uh, some of the countries I was in that I could encourage national believers in their ministry by making and including them as teachers. And uh, going through, here's what we want to teach. They learn the, the, what we want to teach. Uh, we use the discovery lessons, um, which uh, went, went through six lessons and uh, to share the gospel with Muslims, and I'd get them to teach. So I would say, I have a friend, and he could do it better than I can, and he's an Arab. And he can share, share it uh, in much better language than I can use, and I would bring them together, and sit, they could sit down, and they would take it, uh, the, the whole thing to a different level because now it's teacher-student relationship. And many Muslims understand that because they understand the relationship between teachers and student and, and the, the dynamics that happen there. Often a dynamic that we don't understand in the West because um, our whole educational system is not necessarily we are followers of a certain teacher. And when somebody says, well, where did you study? You say, I studied under so-and-so. But in this case, they became students of that teacher. Now, we want to... Uh, talk a little bit about six steps to spiritual development. And I want to just share these steps um, to help you understand um, a little bit of, of, of how people move along in their spiritual life. Now, I, there, lots of people have come up with these uh, teaching things. Uh, there's angle scale. There's, I was never clever enough to, to catch on to angle scale and remember how it all works when I'm in a relationship. So I broke it down really simple. And I just said there are not interested people. There are interested people. Uh, I mean, somewhat interested people. There are seekers. There are converts and disciples. Did you catch that? Very simple. Not interested. I met lots of people like that. There were somewhat interested people. There were converts, I mean seekers, I mean at this point seekers and 
converts and disciples. And we're going to look at those and a little bit of who they are. Not interested people. Do you ever meet a not interested person? You know, I'm a Christian. I'm not interested. Now, everywhere we go, I meet not interested people. But with Muslims, the question is, why are they not interested? As I go around North America, I meet people who are not interested in religion. Don't want to talk about religion. For they have decided religion doesn't matter, and they're not interested in religion. As I meet and get to know Muslim friends, that's not the reason they're not interested. They're not interested for other reasons. They are interested in religion, but they're not interested in my religion. They're not interested in Christianity because they think they have something better. They believe that what they have is superior to what I have. I remember being in the post office. I would go in the post office every couple of days. One of my sons was doing correspondence courses, and I would go in and be mailing these and picking them up. And I got to know the young guy who worked in the post office. And there's a couple of young guys there. And one day we were talking, and uh, one of these young guys said to the other young guy, said, do you know that he thinks you're going to hell? He's talking about me, that I believe he's going to hell. And the guy says, no. He said, infidels are going to hell. And I said, and he said, no, I think Christians believe we're going to hell. So we had a very interesting discussion. I said, yes, I believe you're going to hell. What? <laughs> you know? And so he'd never heard that before. Well, but generally, he was not interested. What got him interested was something that was said that sparked his interest. Now, I believe as we go through life, we meet many, many people who are not interested. And we need to say and do things that spark interest. Just like that man did sowing seeds everywhere he went. Saying things that got people interested in, uh, in what we were talking about. So as I look at the Bible, I say, did Jesus deal with any not interested people? Yes, Jesus dealt with all kinds of not interested people. I think a lot of people came to him uh, to, uh, to get somebody healed. Or they came because uh, they wanted to see something spectacular. And so Jesus would sit down and he would talk with them and he would give them stories or he'd give them parables and he would say things that would make them think. And what I discovered is that he would say things and then he would not explain them. This was a huge change in my mind. I came out of a mindset where somebody said, did you share the gospel? And it meant that I go through the whole plan of salvation all the way to the end and lay out the gospel message. Well, show me a place in the Bible where Jesus does this. Where does he explain the entire gospel message? In fact, many times Jesus would tell a story and he would, the Bible tells us that in the evening his disciples would come and say, Master, what did that story mean? What does that tell you? Jesus told the story and he never explained it. He never said it. He just gave the story and walked away. What a challenge. I'd never thought of that. But that's what you do with not interested people. You say something, you dangle a little carrot out there that if they're interested, they're going to bite, and then you leave it. Because they, they, they don't want the whole thing. They're not interested in everything, but they're just, they, they need something to get them to think. Maybe um, somebody's in the store, somebody's child is sick. Oh, I want to pray for your child. Oh, you pray? Christians pray? Didn't know that. So you talk a little bit, but don't push it. Just say little things to get them to think. One day I was in a taxi, and uh, we were going down the road, and uh, 
taxi driver said to me, do you smoke here? Have a cigarette? I said, no, I don't want a cigarette. And so we drove, you know, just continued on and there was no conversation. So I said to him, do you know why I don't smoke? He said, oh, probably not good for your health. I said, that's part of it. That's not all of it. He said, well, what? And I said, well, I believe that when I get to heaven, I'm going to stand before God and God is going to judge me. And the, the Bible tells us that God is going to judge me with what did I do with my body? And so I am responsible before God to um, look after my body, to uh, treat my body right. He said, really? Never heard of that before. That was the end of our conversation. Now, a couple months later, my wife came to me and said, did you ever talk to somebody about smoking and God judging us for smoking? I said, why? She said, the ladies are all talking about it. Some foreigner said it to somebody, and of course it had taken a few weeks and months, but the whole town was talking about it because it had gone all the way around the town. Because he got home and said, you know what the crazy foreigner said to me today? And of course they heard it, and then the neighbors heard it, and then so forth. You see, you're sowing seeds out there for people who are not interested, trying to prepare them so they will become somewhat interested. That's the next stage. Somewhat interested, where they're, they're asking a question. Oh, do Christians pray? How do you pray? Well, when somebody asks that, they're, they're not a seeker. They don't want to know all about salvation and Jesus and on the cross. They, they're just asked about prayer. So they're somewhat interested. And so the, the step to take there is to, is to lead them forward. To, to give them a question, not, not to answer their question, but to do it in such a way that leads to another question. Jesus did this. He would answer in such a way as to lead them along, to make people think. Don't try to answer everything. Say a little bit so that they, they become interested and they ask another question and then another question. And so here you have somebody who's somewhat interested and every time you meet, they're asking a little bit, asking a question and you begin to share, and you begin to share about what you believe, about the Bible, about prayer, and you begin to become transparent so they can begin to see Jesus in your life. And that's what you want to see, is you want to, them to see Jesus in us because they will be attracted to Jesus. That was the secret with those teachers that we were talking about, uh, those six evangelists. They were very transparent people. And, and they, because they had been broken... They, uh, Jesus just flowed out of them and people could see Jesus. They could feel Jesus around them. And so um, I discovered that this is what these people need, the somewhat interested people. As they get to ask these questions, they get to know what it is to have Jesus in you. That's somewhat interested. So who's a seeker? That's the question. Who's a seeker? Seekers are people who come to a place who say, well, what's right? Is the Quran right? Or is the Bible right? This is a seeker. He really wants to know. Well, they can't both be true. The Quran can't be true and the Bible can't be true. I need to know which one is truth and which one isn't. This is a person who says, I'm trying to reconcile what is said at the mosque and what I'm hearing from you. And I want to know what is truth. This person is a seeker because it is now he is driving the conversation. He, is now, he or she is now looking for answers. And this is the person that you offer. Would you like to sit? And would you like to sit with a teacher and have someone explain it to you? Because now they're at the place saying, I need to know. I want to know. i got to figure this out. And so we offer, there is somebody, I have a friend who can come and sit down with you and can go through it and try to explain all of these things with you. So there's this progress of not interested, 
to somewhat interested, but don't go too fast. Don't throw too much stuff at him because it's kind of like starting a little fire and you put too much firewood on it and you kill the fire. Have you ever done that? You start a little flame and you feed the flame. Feed it slowly until it catches. And then once the fire is going, then you can add the big sticks to it without you know, destroying the fire. And so that's what we're doing is fanning the flame as people are thinking and working through these things. So this is why being a messenger is so important to understand the role of a messenger in someone's life. And as we look at the six steps that take us from uh, not interested to somewhat interested to uh, seeker, and then they become a convert, a follower of Jesus, someone who has said, I want to follow Jesus. And whatever form that takes, they've become a follower of Jesus. And then, then we want to see them move on to being discipled and uh, being uh, Christian leaders in their homes and in their communities and so forth. And so I always think of people when I meet them, where are they on this scale? And what do I say? Do I need to just say something to make them think? Or do I need to answer some of their questions? Or is this someone who is now a seeker and we need to now uh, put truth and pour truth into their life? Or um, is this a convert who's struggling and, is, and where are they at? So try to understand the flow and, uh, and change our approach as an evangelist, uh, what I'm seeing differently to the different people, and I can share the gospel with them. In the second lecture, we're going to go on and look at some of the teaching issues what it is actually to be a teacher. What happens when you get that opportunity to sit down and to share the gospel and to go through it and all the things that are involved in that. Thank you.